If you have a Bible, if you could open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 6, we'll look at verses 20 through 35 together this morning. Let me just comment that we have uh, some very serious uh, prayer matters in the life of the church. Have you uh, noticed that in our time of prayer Sunday morning? Uh, so many very serious prayer requests. If you haven't uh, already uh, shared your contact information with our office, would you consider doing so so that you can receive these uh, prayer updates in your inbox? We really need to be praying uh, over the course of the week, and this is an opportunity for you to uh, receive these prayer notices very soon and pray in your home. We're looking at Proverbs chapter 6, and the content of this uh, passage, much of the content, has to do with adultery. And little theologians, children, we love having you with us during our worship service, but some of this passage might seem uh, strange to you, but when you're older, it will surely make more sense. But as you're listening to this sermon, would you draw a very complex map? Very complex. No one could possibly follow it. And then before I'm finished preaching, if you could draw one path through that complex map. You know, God is with you to help you with decision-making, your thoughts, your speech, and your actions. God will instruct you how to live your life, no matter how complex it is, even if your life doesn't feel very complex right now. So you'll hear me talk about adultery, but really this passage is about living in a very complex world, but being guided with sure plans by God himself. That's what wisdom is, God guiding us in this present age. Our passage is from Proverbs chapter 6, beginning at verse 20. But before we read, would you join me in prayer? Father, we need you. We need you to give us understanding, but we need you to activate and animate and energize our hearts so that we apply that which we are made to understand by your Spirit. O Holy Father, do both of those things. Give us understanding, but compel us to obey. We thank you for your word in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to begin at verse 20 in Proverbs chapter 6. Look at that with me, would you? God's word says this, My son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always. Tie them around your neck. When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. When you awake, they will talk with you. For the commandment is a lamp, and the teaching a light, and the reproofs of discipline are a way of life. To preserve you from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of the adulteress. Do not desire her beauty in your heart, and do not let her capture you with her eyelashes. For the price of a prostitute is only a loaf of bread, but a married woman hunts down a precious life. Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? 
Or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? So is he who goes in to his neighbor's wife. None who touches her will go unpunished. People do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy his appetite when he is hungry. But if he is caught, he will pay sevenfold. He will give all the goods of his house. He who commits adultery lacks sense. He who does it destroys himself. He will get wounds and dishonor, and his disgrace will not be wiped away. For jealousy makes a man furious, and he will not spare when he takes revenge. He will accept no compensation. He will refuse, though you multiply gifts. This is the word of our Lord. I think like you, I can catch myself reading the Proverbs and thinking that the Proverbs are only about various issues and then I begin to weigh myself on how I manage those issues. So I'll read the Proverbs about parenting or about use of money or use of speech or time or physical intimacy. And sometimes I think that the issues of Proverbs matters of my own life that I find in Proverbs, that that's really the key to Proverbs. I begin to juggle my successes or failures with regards to those issues, and I know you do this as well. But Proverbs isn't just about the issues, parenting, money, etc. Proverbs is also about God. And how he shares with us what wisdom is. And sometimes we get lost in the issues and we miss how those issues are presented to us by God in the Proverbs. The setting of these Proverbs, yes, they're issues that we know about, that we think about, that we struggle with. But always the setting of the Proverbs is relationship. Always about relationship. You see in our passage, we have, uh, again, parent-child relationships. In the past, we have seen uh, parent-children relationships. You remember when the word son was in the plural, sons. We've seen grandparent and grandchild relationships. And in this passage, we see a relationship between a husband and a wife speaking with the same instruction. And of course... All of this talk and imagery of relationship is so important. We can't forget this. Because Proverbs is about God's relationship with us. The Lord gives wisdom. Wisdom comes from His mouth. He places wisdom in our hearts. Go back and read Proverbs chapter 2. You see, we sometimes focus on the issue of Proverbs And we forget about how those various issues are shared. And does this matter? It does matter. God doesn't want us simply to live better lives, to master the various issues that we encounter in life. There's more about the Proverbs than that. God has drawn us near to to Himself. And He has come to us initiating that drawing power. Don't forget that, those of you who profess faith in Jesus. 
He's drawn near to you and he wants you to draw nearer and nearer to him. Wisdom is about living with and loving the God who saves in Christ. Don't get lost in the issues. Think about the setting of those issues. It's with that in mind that I want to talk about the the big idea, the, the theme of this passage. And we could so easily say that the theme is don't commit adultery. It's bad. Don't do it. I want you to notice that that's not how the mother and father are talking about adultery. To be sure, 12 verses, verses 24 through 35, are all about adultery. But they're not just about the act of adultery. There's much more there. Let me tell you what I think the the theme of this passage is. Because God wants a relationship with us, He helps us to avoid adultery. We'll talk more about the seventh commandment, but this is what this passage is about. God wants a relationship with us, and so he helps us to avoid adultery. Well, I just have two points, but there's three subpoints and four subpoints, so you do the math. We're first going to talk about the, that wisdom is God's help to us. I want to say three things about that. Wisdom is God's help to us. But the second point is that wisdom is God's help to us even to avoid adultery. His help even with regards to adultery. I want to say four things about that. But uh, verses 20 through 23, wisdom is God's help to us. I want to say three things about the setting of this this, uh, discussion about adultery. You see in verse 20, We have a father and a mother speaking to a son. The first thing I want us to see is that wisdom happens in relationship. Let me go ahead and tell you all three. Wisdom happens in relationship. Wisdom requires trust. And wisdom makes very big promises. All three of these show us how wisdom is God's help. But first, see that wisdom happens in relationship. The father and mother speaking to a son, but the father and mother also speaking together. The father's commandment and the mother's teaching. You know that's the same thing, don't you? They're speaking about the same body of teaching. We've already been told parents don't invent wisdom. Wisdom doesn't come from a dad's good ideas and a mom's good ideas and then they compare them, put them together in a final document. No, wisdom comes from God. Wisdom, she's independent. In chapter 1, she cries aloud in the streets. Proverbs chapter 2, wisdom comes from the mouth of God. Wisdom is God making himself known, his character, but also his will. And he's making that known to everyone here. I offer this as an encouragement to those of you who didn't grow up in Christian homes to have a mother and a father offering to you wisdom's commandment and wisdom's teaching. That's okay. God's mouth speaks wisdom. Wisdom happens in relationship, even if your mom and dad are not the kind that talk about God. Wisdom happens in relationship because wisdom is God speaking to you. But see in verse 21 that wisdom requires something on your part, doesn't it? 
Wisdom requires trust. Bind the commandment, says King Solomon. Tie them around your neck. These are commands. The teaching is on your heart, around your neck. You have to actually attach them to yourself. You ever tied down an object to the roof of your car? Covered uh, the bed of your truck with a tarp? You walk around the car or the truck many times, don't you? Just to make sure. Wisdom, sometimes we are hearing God speak, but we just go about our lives. Stop that. Wisdom requires trust. God, he knows our temptation. You see there at the beginning in 20, uh, he knows our temptation to not keep wisdom, but to lose them. To not cherish them, but to forsake them. Wisdom requires that we take effort. Let me suggest to you that the way we take effort is reminding ourselves over and over again that God knows what he's talking about. To not follow wisdom, to listen but to not strap it down so it blows off in the wind of life, that's to actually not trust where wisdom comes from. Wisdom requires trust. Do you trust God or do you only trust yourself? Wisdom happens in relationship. Wisdom requires trust. But look at this wonderful news in verses 22 and 23. Wisdom makes very big promises. Do you see that word in verse 22? If you're looking at the ESV, that word they, they, it shows up three times. Who's the they? The writers of the ESV uh, are teaching us that that the they refers to the commandment taught by the Father and the teaching taught by the mother the commandment is a lamp and the teaching is a light and they are the ones that do these things look at what they do they lead us they watch over us they talk with us and verse 23 they discipline us wisdom makes very big promises the promise to lead you and watch over you and to speak with you and discipline you. But you know that word for they, it may as well be he. He, it's third person singular. It actually could be he is doing these things. Doesn't it seem odd that these uh, commandments and these teachings watch over and speak to you and discipline you? Maybe so, maybe not. But what about Jesus making these promises to us. He will lead us. And he will watch over us. And he will speak to us by the Spirit. And he will discipline us as well. You see, it's impossible to understand wisdom as if it's just a matter of following the rules. Wisdom is God's help to us. It happens in the context of relationship. It requires that we trust in God and it makes very big promises because it comes to us in Jesus. Wisdom is God's help. I wonder if sometimes you think that there are aspects of your life that are too gritty, 
too scandalous, too filthy to share with others? Don't we all feel that way? There are aspects of our life that we share with acquaintances and then with intimate friends and then with spouses. But is it too hard for us to imagine that there are things that are they're too graphic or horrible even for our spouses? Let's consider that for a moment. Is that possible? Could that happen? Would you know that God is not afraid to go to those very places, that territory or real estate of your mind or of your heart or of your psyche, those things that you can't even imagine sharing with anyone else? Look at last week's passage. God knows everything about us. And wisdom is God's help to us, and it happens in relationship, it requires trust, and it makes very big promises. But know this as well, this is the second point. Wisdom helps us even in adultery. God goes to those gritty places of who we are. Wisdom is not meant just for those public aspects of life so that you can be viewed by others as a good civil servant. No, wisdom, wisdom goes deep. Let me tell you how deep. When we think about adultery, we rightly understand adultery as a a husband pursuing another woman. And when he pursues that woman, even if it's shy of the act of physical intimacy, he is proving his unfaithfulness to his wife. And adultery is a wife pursuing another man. And even shy of physical intimacy, she is proving her unfaithfulness to her husband. Wisdom also, still speaking broadly, uh, adultery is still something else. It's a single person pursuing a married person, proving his or her unfaithfulness to God's will in their life. But even having said all of that, trying to describe what adultery is, adultery is more than that according to the writer of this proverb. Look at verse 29. Verse 29, I think you should see, is uh, very overt and racy. Uh, Verse 29, I want you to understand that I understand this passage and so should you is a passage describing the the, uh, sexual act committed That's a part of adultery. Verse 29 is that moment where the physical intimacy shows most loudly the unfaithfulness to a spouse. That's verse 29, but verses 27 and 28 uses a very uh, intimate uh, terminology. A man's chest, a man's clothes, a man's feet. It's probably uh, not uh, for, uh, uh, you know, I I can't think of of, of the rating that you're thinking this might be, but it's certainly not rated G, but we can still feel that the author wants us to understand that he's aware of verse 29, the act of adultery. But I want you to notice that adultery is far broader than that. Didn't we just hear earlier in the worship service, Matthew chapter 5, Jesus commenting on the seventh commandment that forbids adultery. And Jesus understands as adultery uh, one who looks with lustful intent at another. The writer of this 
uh, section of the Proverbs agrees completely with Jesus. If we are afraid to talk about certain things with others, God, he's not afraid. He knows who you are, everything about you. And he comes to you to help, even in that gritty part of your life you don't want to share with anyone. I want you to hear four provisions that God has to help you to avoid adultery. Four provisions. The first is in verse 24. Do you see there that wisdom promises to guard us from adultery? Even before the adulterous strikes, God, he's there. He's guarding us. God has equipped us and promised to equip us more that we would be a people who are guarded against adultery even before we know that an adulteress is present. The commandment and the teaching in this regard is a lamp and a light that guards us. Just think about that. How did the world become sinful? Because of our sin. We did this. And yet God, he comes so close to us that he helps us, guards us, protects us, enables us to live in a world that we ourselves broke. Wisdom promises to guard us from adultery. What a wonderful promise that is. That's the first. The second is this. Do you notice in verses 24 and 25 how wisdom understands the workings of adultery? Wisdom understands how adultery works. Look at verse 24. There's someone with a smooth tongue. In verse 25, they set a trap to capture us. And as if we needed any more bait... There's a batting of eyelashes. Do you see that in verse 25? I always read that as if it's uh, Betty Boop batting her eyelashes in a tempting manner. Do you know that's not what it means in Hebrews or in the Hebrew language? It's far more insidious than that. It's not playful at all. It is taking a very intimate part of your body, a part of your body that is supposed to be transparent, to show forth your soul, and it's to surround that part of the body with makeup and decoration. Why? To lure someone into a lie. I won't be transparent with you, but I'm going to draw you in your thinking we're going to have an honest relationship, but it won't be that. When I was a young uh, boy, I used to build traps for squirrels and rabbits and chipmunks. It would always involve some kind of hole or a little loop of something, fishing line, and it would always uh, require bait, uh, a carrot that my mother would let me take or uh, the, uh, uh, the core of a piece of lettuce and I would hang that carrot or lettuce in such a way that it would entice a critter to uh, step upon that uh, fake hole or to walk through the looped fishing line. It never worked. It never worked. But you see in verses 24 and 25, it's a different sort of trap. And the bait is serious bait. There's words that seem to cry out over that hole in the ground that you can't see. And you get closer that you might hear better, but there's a trap. 
And now you're close enough to see those eyes and you wonder if there's more than just eyes. Did you fall in the trap? May I speak uh, rather openly with you this morning and say, doesn't that image match pornography well? It's just a hyperlink. Asks nothing. It's on your screen as harmless as a document. And there it is. You can fixate and focus all you want. You can imagine all you want. You are in control. Verses 24 through 25 match pornography well. And not only that, think about just the mere glances. Do you catch yourself doing that? Mere glances. There's something about that individual. And it turns, instead of a mere glance, into a stare or a longing for a stare. Isn't it astounding that God knows how the world works? A world that was broken by us. Wisdom promises to guard us from adultery, but wisdom understands how adultery works. That's the first two. Number three, verses 29 through 35. It's a large section, but here I think we're being taught that wisdom threatens horrible earthly consequences. Wisdom is describing a kind of punishment. You see the word unpunished in verse 29. None who touches her will go unpunished. I'm not convinced that's about divine punishment. It's rather about the earthly experience of what adultery does. Just look at the examples that the writer gives us. Verses 34 and 35, uh, wisdom threatens a horrible earthly consequence that a husband has for someone who has used his wife that way. Or that a wife has for someone who has used her husband that way. You see, verse 34, jealousy makes a man furious. He'll not spare when he takes revenge. He'll accept no compensation. This is part of the earthly consequences of uh, adultery. Not that that man will necessarily kill you or that woman necessarily kill you, but adultery destroys relationships. It is an offense to a husband or to a wife. But it's even an offense to the adulterer. Look at verse 30. The adulterer has been told, You've stolen something from her. The adulterer has been trapped in yet another sin. It's not just adultery. They've stolen from someone. And not only have they stolen from someone, verse 32 says that when you do this, you destroy yourself. The adulterer damages himself. He who commits adultery lacks sense, verse 32. He who does it destroys himself. But there's another relationship or another uh, something that is damaged. Wisdom threatens horrible earthly consequences. There's a consequence of a relationship with the adulterer and the uh, offended uh, husband or wife. And there is a horrible consequence to the adulterer himself or herself. They are destroying themselves. But there's also an offense 
to the adulteress. Yes, he or she is tempting you, but you have stolen something from her. You've stolen something from him. Do we think about that when we think about adultery? No, they're tempting me. And because they're tempting me, they want me to use them to satisfy my appetite when I am hungry. Whether they want that or not, you are hurting them. Taking something away from them that belongs to them. Do you feel that in your glances? Do you feel that in the use of pornography? You're taking something from them. You see, wisdom threatens horrible earthly consequences if we commit adultery. Now, here's the fourth and final, and I've put it here because I want us to end with this. Wisdom promises to guard us from adultery. Wisdom understands how adultery works, and wisdom threatens horrible earthly consequences. But the fourth one is in verse 25. Wisdom tells us where adultery begins. Do you think that adultery begins with the other person? They did this. They've lured me in. I am right in doing this. I cannot prevent it. I cannot stop it. They have done this. Oh, how often I have heard men and women speak about adultery in that way. But that is not where adultery begins, according to wisdom. Verse 25, you desired her beauty in your heart. Adulterer, you have done this. Regardless of her temptation, regardless of her willingness, you have done this because it's your desire that you're chasing after. And where will this desire take you? The writer almost doesn't care. The writer wants us to know that we are the ones responsible for adultery. Christian, you know that your heart belongs to God. You are His child. He has adopted you. He has paid an extraordinary price, an imperishable price, a precious price. The fault is not hers. The fault is not His. It's yours. This is a matter of your heart. And if God owns that heart and all of your desires belong to God, this then is where adultery begins, but this is where adultery is dealt with. You must confess your sin. You must lean upon God that you would understand more and more this desire of your heart. You must go to him and ask that he would slay that desire. You must lean upon him in the life of the church. Share with a brother or with a sister. Listen to these four provisions of wisdom. This is God's help that we would avoid adultery. Wisdom promises to guard us. Wisdom understands how it works. Wisdom threatens horrible earthly consequences. And wisdom tells us where it begins. You know where we began in this passage. 
God wants a deeper and deeper relationship with us. There's no limit to that depth. He's united us to Jesus. He's united us to one another. God wants a deep relationship with you. And his wisdom is to help you avoid adultery. That you, that you would embrace the depth of that relationship. Jesus has come close to us, hasn't he? Taken on our nature. And Jesus has redeemed us that we might have this life, even in a broken world. And Jesus models for us what that Christian life in this world ought to look like. And Jesus joins us by the Holy Spirit, walking with us, dwelling in us. And I want to finish with this. He comes to us, He redeems us, He models for us, and He joins us by the Spirit. But Jesus, he intercedes for us. We have failed. Everyone in this room has failed. How will I ever have a deeper relationship with God when I failed like this? Jesus intercedes for us. Jesus takes our many failures upon his own shoulders. And he presents us to God washed and clean. Not because we've done something, but because he has and is and always will. He's interceding for us. Can we all praise God that the depth of this relationship finally and securely is because of Jesus, not because of your purity? God wants a relationship with us, and so he helps us to avoid adultery. Would you join me in prayer? Our Father, we have awkward subject matter before us, but it's not awkward to you. Father, would you heal us? Would you strengthen us? Would you protect us? Would you cause us to grow in personal holiness for your namesake? Thank you for desiring a relationship with us. In Jesus' name, amen.